And in times past, I have preached sermons in relation to the, the holiday weekend. Today will not be one of those days where I preach a special, special message in light of that. But I think we would all agree that we are very blessed because of the sacrifice of so many who were willing to fight and die on behalf of our nation. Would you not agree with that? We would, or we should, okay, and, and I trust that we'll be uh, mindful of that this weekend and that we will celebrate it in, in an appropriate way. And then I want to say this also. Uh, I shared this with Brother Mike before uh, Sunday school this morning. I told him that in trying to get ready for vacation uh, last week, I tried to get as much done as possible so that I wouldn't have anything to do whenever I was gone or whenever we came back, and I simply just did not have enough time to get everything done, so I had to study while on vacation for this morning's sermon. And I don't know how well that's going to go when you're trying to be on vacation, yet you're trying to study, so we're just going to hope for the best, okay? And uh, if we get out of here early, uh, that's what I was warning him of because of junior church. But if we get out of here a little bit early, just know it's because I still had vacation on my mind while I was trying to put the thoughts together, okay? So that being said, turn, if you would, this morning to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. We're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture that I know I taught a couple of years ago in Sunday school. Past that, I don't know if I've ever preached it before. I would not be surprised if I have, but I could not find in my records as to whether or not I've ever preached this passage. Whether or not I have is immaterial, in my opinion, because today's message is a reminder that all of us can be benefited by, we can all be helped by, and I trust that it will be a help to us if we allow it to be. But I want to begin this morning's message by talking about something that has been true in our house on multiple occasions. And I would assume it's been true of your house on different occasions as well. The scenario would go something like this, that it's been several hours since we have eaten. And in those hours that we have not eaten, we have been busy doing things around the house, busy getting things accomplished. And you look up all of a sudden and you realize what time of day it is, and it kind of hits you, man, am I hungry. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You've been busy, you've been preoccupied, you've been doing a lot of different things, but it finally hits you, it is time to eat, and you are hungry. And so this question may have been presented to you at some point in a situation like this or in a situation like that. What sounds good? And your answer, if it's anything like what mine has been, your answer would sound something like this. I don't care. I'm so hungry. Anything sounds good. So there have been times Susie has said something like this, well, do you want a sandwich? And I say, hey, a sandwich sounds good. She says, would you prefer to have leftovers from what we had a couple of nights ago? Hey, I don't care. That sounds good. Well, would you want me to fix this? And it's in that moment that I say or I think something like this, you're not getting the idea here. I don't care. I don't care if it's a sandwich. I don't care if it's leftovers. I don't care if you want to fix something. I don't care if we want to run grab a bite to eat. I don't care. I'm just hungry. I just want to eat. And in that moment, anything sounds good. Have you ever been there? Most of us have been there. 
So let me ask you this, if you've ever been in a situation like this where several hours have passed, but maybe you've not been real productive. Maybe you've not been getting a lot done. Maybe you've just been lounging around and laying around and, again, not accomplishing a whole lot. And you look up and you realize technically it's time to eat. You ever been there? You realize, wow, I've laid here for the last four or five hours and I've done absolutely nothing. And the clock says it's time to eat. And so maybe your spouse says to you, so what do you want for supper? And your response may be something like this because you haven't really done anything to work up an appetite. Your response may be something like this. Oh, I don't know. I'm really not too hungry. So they say to you, well, would you like a sandwich? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really sound too good. Well, we've got leftovers. Would you like some leftovers from what we had a couple of nights ago? Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that yeah, I, if, if that's what you want to warm up, that, that's fine. Well, do you want me to fix this? Well, I'm, I'm, it's okay. I mean, you, you don't have to. And, and you come to this point where you realize nothing really sounds good. You're just not hungry. You just don't really have an appetite. And so because you're not real hungry and because you don't really have an appetite, it doesn't matter what they present to you, just none of it really sounds good. It doesn't mean that you don't eventually eat something, but even as you eat it, you're not enjoying it like you normally would. So we've been in these situations, I think, over the course of our lives where we have been so hungry that anything available sounds good, and there have been those occasions in life where we're just not hungry, and because of that, nothing really sounds too good to eat. Now, as we think about that, this morning I want us to look in verse number 7 of chapter 27. We're going to look at this a little bit out of order because I think it can help us. I think it helps me. I know that it helps me. But we're going to look at this a little bit out of order. And I hope that when we're all finished with this message that we can evaluate where we're at in relation to the truth that we'll be considering and maybe answer some questions that need to be answered. So notice in the last part of verse number 7 of this particular chapter, Solomon said, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. This morning, I'm going to walk us through these words, not because most of you don't know what they mean, but I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I want to make sure that our thoughts are all going, on the, or are all going in the same direction. I want us to consider first that word, but. I think most of us know this, but that word, but, serves as a source of contrast in this statement in relation to what was said prior to this statement. So in the first part of the verse, this would be true, but in the second part of the verse, we're going to see a contrast. We're going to be seeing, we're going to see something that would be different. And so in verse number seven, he said, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So he mentions the soul of man. What is the soul of man? Well, that is a reference to who an individual is internally, correct? That is what defines us as an individual. That is what defines us as a being. And so he speaks of the fact that the soul of man can be hungry. 
that the soul of man can have an appetite. That the soul of man can have a desire. That the soul of man can crave certain things. And so what Solomon said is this, that when the soul of man is hungry, when the soul or the inner being of a person is hungry, when there is an appetite for something, when there is a longing, when there is a craving, when there is a desire for something, then what he said is, is that every bitter thing is sweet. What does it mean for something to be bitter? Well, it means that it would be harsh in its presentation. That it would be something that would not necessarily, under normal conditions, be palatable to the individual. But he says that when the soul of an individual is hungry, when that inner man has an appetite, when that inner man has a desire, when that inner man has a craving and a longing for something, then even what would normally be considered bitter, when something would normally be considered harsh and not palatable to the taste, he said to the hungry soul, even those bitter things are sweet or they are delicious, or it is something that would be desired on the part of the person being considered. Does this make sense? Apparently not, but we're just going to keep working with it, all right? He says, when there is hunger in the soul of the individual, then every bitter thing is sweet. Now, keeping in mind that that serves as a contrast to the previous statement, notice what Solomon said in the first part of the verse. He said, the full soul loatheth an honeycomb. The full soul loatheth an honeycomb. So what does it mean whenever Solomon speaks of a full soul? Well, it speaks of one that is satisfied. It speaks of one that has been filled up. And as a result of the soul or the inner man, that which defines the individual, as a result of it being full or as a result of it being satisfied, here is their response to the honeycomb They loathe the honeycomb. Now what is he talking about whenever he's talking about the honeycomb? Well, he's talking about a comb that gives forth honey. You understand this, don't you? And the honey that would come from the honeycomb, that would be something that, generally speaking, would be sweet and palatable to the individual consuming it. It would be just the opposite of that which was bitter or that which was harsh. All right, the, the honey that would come from the honeycomb, it would be sweet to the taste. It would be something that when added by way of ingredient to some other food, it would make that other food even sweeter and more desirous. The honey that came from the honeycomb, it could be something that could be helpful by way of medicinal purposes. But here is what Solomon said. He said, when the soul of an individual is full or it is satisfied, when it's been filled up with something else, then here is what happens. Here is what is true of the person. He said, that soul will loathe the honeycomb. So what does it mean to loathe the honeycomb? Well, the idea of this word is simply this, to reject it. 
to reject the honey that comes from the honeycomb. The idea is also this, not just to reject it, but to trample it underfoot, to have no regard for it or to have a disdain for it. So here is the picture that Solomon presents in the minds of the readers. You've got someone who is full, and as a result of them being full, what they would normally have an appetite for, what they would normally have a longing and a craving for, what they would normally desire, they reject and they have no use for, and they see no value in it, and they would have a disdain for it. But he said, when a person is hungry, when they have a desire, when they have a hunger, when they have an appetite and a longing and a craving, then even the bitter, that which would normally be rejected because of the harshness of its ingredients or because of the lack of of, of appeal to it, he said, when a person is hungry, then even that which is bitter becomes sweet to them. It may not make sense in the minds of some, but Solomon says this is exactly how it works. When you are full, what would normally appeal does not appeal to you, and yet when you are hungry, what may not always appeal to you, oddly enough, begins to sound very good and appealing because it meets the need of the appetite. Now this principle, this thought that Solomon is conveying, understand as, uh, understand that this is something that could be dealt with from many, many different directions, all right? You could apply it in this area of life. You could apply it in this area of life. There are many different areas of life that you could apply this to. And so today, because we happen to be in church and because we happen to be in the house of God, I want us to approach this principle this morning from the perspective of considering the Word of God. It's a fair approach to take to this scripture and the principle that's being dealt with, the principle that that Solomon is dealing with here. It is a fair approach to take because it fits within the parameters of what Solomon is trying to, to convey to whoever would pick up these words and read them, you and I being a part of who would pick them up and read them. Okay, so I want us to think about the Word of God in relation to the soul of man and women, the, the, the soul of men and women and children, anyone who may identify themselves as a believer or a child of God. Now here's why I want us to consider this, because it is something that I have witnessed over the years of ministry, It is something that you have witnessed over the years of observation, if you have taken the time to do this. And it is something that has been repeated countless number of times over the years in relation to men and women. What do I mean? Well, I mean this. Considering this principle, considering this scripture with the Word of God as kind of the background of what I want us to think about, think about this thought that to the hungry soul, every bitter thing in relation to the Word of God becomes sweet to that individual. 
I don't know if that made any sense or not, so I'm going to try to say it again. When a person has a hunger for the Word of God, then here is what I have witnessed as a pastor and what you have witnessed as an observer. If a person's soul has a hunger for the Word of God, then that which would normally be viewed or deemed as bitter becomes something that to them is now sweet and palatable. So I don't know what you're talking about, so you're going to have to explain yourself. All right, well, here's what I mean. When a person has a hunger for the Word of God, you know what they don't mind taking place in their spiritual lives and in their Christian lives? They don't mind there being a presentation of the Word of God that might be confrontational in their lives from time to time because even though it would not make sense for them to want to hear that kind of stuff, because it would not necessarily, or, or in light of the fact, because they, because they have a hunger for the Word of God, they don't mind having their sins confronted and dealt with. I don't know how else to say it, okay? When, when, when a person has a hunger for the Word of God, they don't mind the Word of God being presented to them in such a way that it challenges them, that it might rebuke them, that it might correct them, that they might have to be told you're wrong. See, when a person internally in their spiritual life, when they have a hunger for the Word of God, they'll not mind hearing things that they might not otherwise want to hear. I've discovered this, and, and I know this to be true, and I'm, I'm going to take some, some solace in this truth this morning just as I stumble through this a little bit. But I have discovered that when people have a hunger for the Word of God, the Word of God doesn't always have to be presented in the most amazing or dynamic fashion in order for them to be fed by the Word of God. I have noticed over the years, and again, you have noticed this if you've paid any attention at all, that whenever a person has a hunger for the Word of God, it doesn't have to be flashy. It doesn't have to be exciting. It doesn't always have to be powerful. It doesn't always have to be presented with a sense of, 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 of just excitement and, and thrill to it. Sometimes just the simple presentation of the Word of God is enough to feed them and give them exactly what they need. And it's not because obviously the presentation was so great, but because there was such a hunger that no matter how it was presented, if the person stumbled over their words a little bit, if they were somewhat repetitive in what they said, if maybe it was a little bit dry, it didn't bother them because at the end of the presentation, they were still able to find something that they were able to get and benefit by the, the, the word that was presented. I have found it interesting over the years that there have been occasions where the Word has been presented to people and it wasn't real exciting. 
and it wasn't real thrilling, and people left saying, man, wasn't that great? I mean, that was wonderful, what they said, what they brought to light, what they presented to us. That was great, and, and, and that was such a help. How does that attitude exist in the hearts and minds and lives of, of some people? It exists because there are those who are so hungry for the Word that they don't mind it being maybe a little bit dry. They don't mind it maybe lacking some of the wow factor that other people may present it with. They're just thankful to be fed because of the hunger they possess. But that stands in contrast to what is also seen so many times in the Christian life. Because, see, this is also true, what is said in verse number 7 of the spiritual life, that whenever the soul is full, here is what it does. It loathes the honeycomb or what would normally or what should be usually considered sweet or desired or palatable. What I mean by that is this, is when a person is no longer hungry for the Word of God, you know what you find in them so many times? A willingness on their part to reject what they should be more than happy to receive in their personal lives. Now, again, I, I, I'm taking some solace in the truth of this text, even as I preach it, because I know this isn't the most dynamic presentation of this verse, and I'm not even worried about it. I'm just trying to say to us that I have noticed over the years that there have been times where people are so full of other things that it matters not how good the word is that was presented to them, they reject it because they no longer have an appetite for the word that they've been given. I, listen, I, I've said this before. I know that I've said it before. I'm just going to say it again because it, it, it happens here. It happens in every church where the Bible is being preached. It happens in every church across America that there are people when the Word of God begins to be preached, where the Word of God begins to be delivered, that they immediately lose interest in everything that is going on in the church service at that moment. I have watched people over the years stare off as though there was something fascinating taking place on the walls. You know, the, the preaching begins and the preaching starts and, and the Word of God is coming forth and maybe the illustration, the pastor, myself, you know, the preacher, whomever it may be, they know the illustration works. They know the illustration fits. And as they begin to explain the text, as they begin to, to try to unwrap what the text is saying, they know that it makes sense. They know they've studied. They know they're prepared. And as this is happening, the person is just kind of looking off because they don't have a bit of interest in what is being said because they no longer have an appetite for the word that they once had. 
And when application is being made, there is no effort whatsoever on their part for application to be made personally. Over the years, I have said in times past that people become amazingly interested in the ceiling tile of churches during the preaching of the Word of God. They began to notice, oh, that one's kind of warped. Oh, that one's got a mark on it. Oh, did you notice that the ceiling fan, that that little cover thing, it's not all the way up? And, and there have been times I've thought to myself, how in the world did somebody leave a service thinking about that? And, and the simple answer to that question is this. They left that service with that kind of perspective because they had no hunger for the Word of God that was being presented in the service that day. You see people, and it happens all the time. They begin to get fidgety. They begin to get disinterested in what's going on. They begin to get restless. They begin to mess with the pews. They begin to mess with the hymnals and the slots. They begin to mess with the offering envelopes. They begin to doodle. They begin to talk to their spouse a little bit. They begin to look on their phone or flip through their Bibles or play with their kids, whatever it is. How is it that such a thing can happen? How is it that such a thing can take place? Because the person has no real hunger now. And so what should be a source of sweetness, what should be a source of, of desire and something that they would crave, they have no appetite for. It happens all the time. People leave services where you know, and I'm not saying this because I'm the preacher most of the time. It's been true of guest preachers. But there are people who will leave services where the Word of God has been declared, where the Word of God should have been a help, where the Word of God should have helped a person get some things right. The Word of God should have been able to work, but it was not able to work. You know why? Because the person had no appetite for it. They leave and they say things like this. That was boring. Now, I'm not saying it was an exciting sermon necessarily, but you're saying the Word of God was boring? You, you hear people say things like this. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not being fed anymore. You're not being fed anymore by the Word of God? Listen, that, that, that may in part be the deliverer's fault, but it, it, listen, it is never the fault of the Word of God. And if the Word of God is not feeding us, then that says something about our appetite toward the Word of God. I'm amazed at the number of people who have come to conclusions over the course of their spiritual lives that there are things more important that they could be doing rather than yielding themselves to the delivery or to the presentation of the Word of God. Over the years, it's just been said, you know, church is fine, but we're going to do things differently for ourselves as a family because we need the family time, as if the family time is more important than the house of God and the delivery of the Word of God. But you know why people come to those conclusions? Because they have no real appetite for the things of God by way of the Word of God. And so people 
get full of things and it causes them to lose their appetite for the Word of God. So the question can be, and, and maybe not by everyone, but the question could be, what is it that fills people to the point that they no longer have an appetite for the Word? Well, put the blank there and put anything in there that you want because anything can cause people to no longer hunger for the Word of God as they once did. Just going to touch on a couple of them because I think it's helpful for us to be mindful of this. Relationships that in and of themselves may not be harmful or may not be detrimental, but because it filled that person and it took away their desires. That relationship is what's filled them to the point that they no longer have an appetite for the Word of God. I, I think all of us have seen this, if we're honest. This person comes into an individual's life, and it's not that this person is a terrible, wicked, ungodly person, but they don't have a real hunger for the Word of God. They don't have a real appetite for the Word of God. And so this relationship, this friendship, whatever it may be, it's formed. And as a result of this person getting closer and closer and closer to this person's life, this person is now so filled with this relationship that they no longer have the appetite with the, or for the Word of God that they once did. Relationships, no doubt, fill people sometimes in a way that robs them of their appetite for the Word of God. There's no doubt that pleasure oftentimes fills people. So much so that it robs them of their appetite to where they reach a point where the Word of God just doesn't really sound good like it used to sound good. We, we just want to have fun right now. We just want to enjoy ourselves. We just want to have our evenings together. We, we just want to do this, that, whatever it may be. We just want to have fun. And so they don't really have an appetite for the Word of God. It could be something like this. The overall cares of the world. It's not any one thing in particular, but this with this combined with this and this. All these different things piling up it. It takes that person and, and it fills them with the cares of this world, those things do, and, and it robs them of their appetite of the Word of God. And, and now they no longer hunger the Word of God. They no longer have an appetite for the Word of God because so many other things are filling that desire they would otherwise have. People at work do that to them. Well, I've got to work. 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 I've got to work. And slowly but surely, it robs them of their appetite of the word that they once had. Now, again, this can be applied in almost any area of life, but if we look at it from a, a spiritual standpoint, from the perspective of a church family, those who identify themselves as Christians, those who would identify themselves as followers of God, 
you can't help but look at this and say, you know, there are some who have such an appetite for the Word of God that even the bitter things are made sweet to them. They just love the Word of God. And because of their appetite, they don't care if it confronts. They don't care if it deals with their sins. They don't care if it's a little bit boring or a little bit dry sometimes. They're just hungry for anything, so therefore anything sounds good. That cannot be denied that such people exist, nor can it be denied that these people exist, that they are so filled with other things that they no longer crave the Word of God to the point that nothing ever really sounds good. And this morning, all I'd like for us to consider, all I'd like for us to give attention to for just a moment would be this, is what kind of appetite do we have? And make it personal. What kind of an appetite do I have for the Word of God? What kind of a desire, what kind of a craving, what kind of a, uh, of a longing do I have for the Word of God? Because the reality is this, any one of us can be filled by anything that this world has to offer. And it can rob us of our appetite for the Word of God. There is not one of us who is exempt from the struggle of a relationship, of pleasure, of priorities, of the cares of this world, of making money, whatever it may be. There is not one of us who is exempt from the temptation and the struggle, something that would try to fill us to the point that we would no longer hunger and desire the Word of God. We need to ask ourselves, what kind of an appetite do I have for the Word of God? Because, friends, if we don't have an appetite for the Word of God, it doesn't matter how you try to spin it, there is something wrong with us spiritually. If you and I are fine with or without it, there's something wrong with us spiritually. If, if you and I can leave a church service and say, well, you know, that one was kind of boring. You know, that one, just, that one didn't really speak to me. You know, that, that one was just bad. And, and, and listen, I understand not every sermon speaks to us in the same way. I get it. But if that becomes a pattern in our lives where we're never being fed, we're never being challenged, we're never being you know, rebuked or encouraged to, to move ahead in the spiritual lives, if that's never happening to us, friends, that's not always the sermon's fault or the presenter's fault or whatever it may be. That rests on us at some point. At some point, we've got to take some personal responsibility in this. So what kind of hunger and what kind of an appetite do I have for the Word of God? See, this is true kind of like in the physical sense. I may not be hungry, but I may eat, but I don't enjoy it. Well, the same is true in our spiritual lives. If we don't have a hunger, we can still go through the motions of receiving the Word. But if we don't have a hunger for it, you know what? It will not satisfy it will not give us the pleasure it otherwise would. So we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of appetite do I have? And if it's not a very strong appetite, then we need to ask ourselves, 
in that blank, so to speak, what is it that is filling me up that is robbing me of the hunger that I ought to have that I used to have for the Word of God? We need to identify it and we need to address it because if the hunger is not there, something is definitely wrong in our spiritual lives. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take just a moment and to be willing to ask ourselves what kind of an appetite we have for your word. Lord, I know there are some in here this morning and there's no doubt they have a hunger for your word. They have an appetite. They have a longing for it. And Lord, they're just satisfied by your word and even the bitter things are sweet unto them. But Lord, it's possible that if some in here this morning, would just, they would just be honest, they'd have to admit there's not much of an appetite. And if they would just be real, they would have to admit many times they loathe the honeycomb of your word. What should be sweet, what should be desired, what should be wanted by them, it is rejected and there's just no use for it. God, I pray that you'd help us to identify what may be causing that attitude, what may be causing that spirit, and to help us to address it today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.